the Bible for you in your order of service. But it's really good throughout the week to be able to look at God's Word for yourself, to remember the things that we looked at on Sunday, uh, and to become more and more familiar with where it's found in God's Word. Before we look at God's Word this morning, can I just give another exhortation? One of my great hopes, and I, if I can put it this way, dreams for Cornerstone here at Hobart, is that we would become a people of prayer. That especially before church, we would all earnestly become before our great God and King in prayer. All that God would pour out His Spirit and give us a burden um, to pray for this great city. Uh, I vividly remember uh, a conversation I had once with David Jones. Uh, and, uh, and I was telling him, you know, what a great, how excited Angie and I were to come to Cornerstone Hobart and uh, what a great church that I thought it was and how thankful I was for the ministry of himself and for, for Campbell. And he said to me, Mark, you know, Cornerstone was a church that was birthed out of a prayer meeting. It was birthed in prayer. And as I look around this morning and I, I see that this is really what we see before us this morning is very much an answer to prayer. Oh, that God would answer more of our prayers, brothers and sisters. That we would see more and more people coming to know, love and follow Jesus. And that he would make our witness more and more effective. So 9.15, Sunday morning, and I hope... That this, the room this morning was filled. Uh, I think there was one spare seat. I hope that there is no spare seats, not just that, that there are multiple prayer meetings that we have to have before church, uh, and that we would just see God do marvellous things as we've just sung. Okay, Luke 23, I'm going to read from verse 39 through to verse 43, and this is the word of the Lord. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. Let's pray. Father, what a great joy and privilege it is to meet together as your people. On this, the Lord's day, the day in the week where you broke the power of sin and death once and for all. Father, as we sit quietly at your feet now, we pray that you would do that supernatural work of your spirit. That you would quieten our hearts and that you would open our ears to hear your voice speaking to us through your word. Help us to put away all the distractions, all the worries of this past week and even of the week ahead. 
And may you feed us now on your word. May you bless us by your spirit that we would know you better. That we might know the hope to which you have called us. And we might know in our experience that incomparably great power that raised Jesus from the dead. May we know that resurrection power of your spirit at work in our lives. And we pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm currently in the process of teaching my teenage son, Thomas, how to drive. My wife, Angie, has refused um, to get in the car with any of our children until they've um, done at least 20 hours. She made the decision very early on, can I just say, after going out with our oldest son, Joshua, and coming home visibly shaken. <laughs> she was so stressed out that she came in, she had to have a cup of tea, and she said, I've just got to go lie down. So now it's up to me to teach them the basics, which, to be, all in, to be honest with you, has not just been a test of my godliness, but many a times of assurance as well. <laughs> Having had six children, am I ready to go to be with the Lord is a question that I've asked myself more than on one occasion. We were driving up the coast one day and at night and I said to my son Joshua, Josh, we're in a multiple lane traffic here, we'll need to get into the other lane. He goes, okay, Dad. <laughs> and I said, did you look? And he said, oh, sorry, my bad. <laughs> I said, Josh, we could kill people. <laughs> On a more serious level, earlier this week I was talking to a lovely older missionary who had served for over 30 years with her husband in Pakistan. They themselves had had six children and she shared with me her fears of living and serving in such a dangerous place. Uh, this is because the area in Pakistan where they served was often amongst where the Taliban were. The school that their children um, attended was attacked by terrorists and a number of people were killed. They lived in constant danger from Muslim extremists. How do you respond when you're faced with your own mortality? Or maybe when a family member or a friend is killed or given the diagnosis of a terminal illness. That's when what we really believe about life after death is put to the test, isn't it? But it's also when Jesus' words from the cross are their most pertinent. Indeed, I think that verse 43 of Luke chapter 23 has got to be the most comforting saying of Jesus. And it's the one that I personally hold on to whenever I'm afraid. As you can see from the sermon outline, there are three key truths that Jesus says here in verse 43. The first is that life after death is real. 
This might sound a bit obvious, but Jesus says, I tell you the truth. I heard once a story about a Muslim man who converted to Christianity. And as you could imagine, um, his family were deeply and obviously upset. And they constantly challenged him as to why he would turn his back on Muhammad and put his faith and follow Jesus. He said in response, well, imagine you are walking down the street and you come to a fork in the road. On the left is Muhammad, who is dead. On the right is Jesus, who is alive. Which one would you follow? The resurrection of Jesus is the defining event in the history of the world. So much so that our entire dating system in the West to this very day is still revolves around it, doesn't it? BC, before Christ. AD, lots of people don't understand the significance of this, is not after he died, but is the Latin, Anno Domini, which means literally in the year of our Lord. Because our whole dating system is based around this truth. Jesus died and rose again. 2022 is the year of our Lord in which he lives and in which he reigns. Everything has changed due to Jesus' defeat of sin and death on the cross. And because Jesus has died and come back to life again, he alone is trustworthy to tell us what is the truth about what lies on the other side. When we listen to Jesus then, we're listening to someone who is an expert on the subject that he is talking about. And the Lord Jesus says this to the Apostle John in the book of Revelation. He says, I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever and ever and I hold the keys of death and Hades. We can have confidence in what Jesus says because he alone has conquered the grave. He is the resurrection and the life. As such, he promises the one who lives and believes in him will never die. We read a wonderful promise at the end of Psalm 23. My first congregation where I served as a teaching elder was in Outback, New South Wales, a little town called Weewall. And I became quite good friends with the local undertaker who had been doing the job all of his life, in fact, for generations. His father was the undertaker before him. He was a lovely guy and we'd often catch up for a chat. Even though he himself was not a Christian, he commented to me one day that how sad he was that more and more people in town were opting for a non-Christian funeral or a non-church funeral. He said, they're just so empty and hopeless. As the undertaker, he had to take these services. Because it fell to him to officiate, I once asked, so Cole, what do you say? And he goes, he said, well, that's just it. 
He says, what do you say when they don't believe? And they don't believe that there's any such thing as life after death. What do you say? He goes, but Mark, I always throw in a reading from Psalm 23 because people need something. It's very, very difficult to be a consistent atheist, isn't it? I felt like saying, get your own psalm. Because Psalm 23 is not only all about what it means to know the Lord as your shepherd, but it ends with this incredible promise of dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. It's such a stunning statement about life after death, of the sure and certain hope that we can have as believers especially if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as the good shepherd. The one who laid down his life for the sheep to cover over our guilt and shame so that our sin could be removed. We may be all like sheep who have gone astray, each of us turning to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The second aspect to what Jesus says here in Luke 23 on the cross is even more profound. And that is, he says, that life after death is immediate. Notice how Jesus says to the penitent thief, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Some people try to get around this and move the comma and say Jesus is telling the truth today, which doesn't make sense because of what was he lying every other day? <laughs> There's a couple of things to notice here. The first is that when Jesus died, he immediately went into heaven. He didn't spend the next three days suffering the torments of hell, but he immediately went into the presence of God. Jesus went through hell while he was on the cross. For he said, today you will be with me in paradise. Second, those who die in the Lord also immediately go into the presence of God when they die. Some people think that our souls sleep and that we're not conscious with the Lord when we die. But when the Bible uses the expression sleep, it's a reference not to our souls but to our physical bodies. They will sleep in the ground until the day of resurrection. As the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 8, to be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Which means that not even physical death can separate us from our spiritual union that we currently have with the Father through Christ the Son. Third, there is no such thing as purgatory. 
Some churches teach that there is this kind of intermediate state between heaven and hell. But you'll find no such idea, I think, in the Bible. When you die, you are either in heaven or you are in hell. You are either with God or you are either cast out from his presence, depending on whether or not you believe. This is because, once again, the work that Jesus does on the cross is the perfect act of atonement. We don't need to be further purged of our sins because in Christ we have already been made perfect in God's sight. All of which means, finally, if you trust in Jesus, you can be completely forgiven. The person which we all know as the penitent thief actually was not just guilty of stealing. The term in Greek used here to describe uh, this particular person is somebody who was involved in a violent insurrection. In other words, this man and his mate were basically terrorists. Isn't that shocking? I mean, how could someone be forgiven for something like that? How could someone be forgiven for everything that they've done? And yet, as we saw last week, this is the very reason why Jesus came. He came to seek and save the lost, to reconcile men and women back to God. God can even save terrorists. It's interesting to note that in this regard that the two criminals, the two criminals had initially both heaped abuse on Jesus. If you're taking notes, you can look up sometime Matthew chapter 27, verse 44. Matthew 27, 44. But after a while, one of them was so struck by how Jesus responded to their insults that they recognised that Jesus was actually innocent. Maybe it's because they saw how godly Jesus was and that he didn't retaliate. Ironically, those who were guilty of actions deserving of death, and notice they were deserving of death, they railed against God, whereas Jesus, who wasn't deserving of death, humbly submitted himself to the Father's will. He drank from the cup that was given and in so doing paid the penalty for our sin. So the thief says to his mate in verse 40 to 41, don't you fear God since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. It's a stunning confession of guilt. Peter Jensen, who was the principal of Moore College when I was there, used to say the only thing that we contribute as fallen human beings to our salvation is our sin. It's the one thing we have to be willing to admit that we ourselves are sinners and that there is nothing that we can do in and of ourselves to make us right with God. 
Can you say that of yourself? Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to your cross I cling. Naked come to you for dress. Helpless look to you for grace. Wash me, Saviour, or I die. Have you admitted your own guilt before God and your own inability to save? That you've failed to keep his law? That you've failed to love your neighbour as yourself? The Lord Jesus says this in John 3. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light. Why? Because they're afraid. They're afraid, Jesus says, that their deeds will be exposed. You see, it takes a God-given humility to admit that you're a sinner. And only the Holy Spirit can give you that true realisation of your own guilt. The reason why so many people reject the gospel, though, is because they don't want to do that. They don't want to come into the light. Instead, they would rather walk around at dark mofo. As the Apostle Paul says in Romans 1, although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, not only do they do all of these things, but they also approve of those who practice them. That's what it means to love the darkness and hate the light. I studied anthropology at university, which if you don't know what that means, it means the study of cultures around the world. Anthropos is the Greek word for man. Anthropology, study of humans. One of the things that every society has in common, every society around the world, is they have four rites of passage. Doesn't matter where you are, it's part of what makes our society human as distinct from the animals. Those four rites of passage include ceremonies around birth, Puberty, marriage, and death. Different cultures will place a different emphasis on each of these, but they'll all recognize these four rites of passage in one form or another. What's happened throughout the Western world of the last generation, though? is that we have completely white-anted each of these. So, for instance, the birth of a child is now no longer legally protected, but we have, in practice, abortion on demand. A woman can terminate her pregnancy for something as subjective as not being in the best interests of her own mental health up until birth in some states. Even before a child reaches puberty, 
they are being encouraged now to change their gender. And in places such as Victoria, it is now the case that you can be criminally prosecuted if you don't support them. And just in case you think that's only in Victoria, you can be prosecuted from other states if you're engaged in that or not engaged in that. Even if you pray for them to change, when they themselves have asked you to, if they come back later and say that was harmful for them, you can be prosecuted. That is not just madness, that is fundamentally wicked. Especially when you know that your rights of a, as a parent have been taken away in that regard. That is wickedness. And then as we all know, we've recently redefined marriage to no longer be between a man and a woman. You might not think that's such a big deal, but the full horror of that situation is only revealed when you consider the impact that this has on the children of such unions. Because gay marriage is not really about love, it's really about an attack upon the social building block of the family. No longer, think about this, does a child necessarily have a mother and a father? Their rights have gone. But they also don't have a proper relationship with their relatives, their grandparents. The ramifications, as we will continue to see, are enormous. And then finally, at the point of death, ironically, after all that we've been worried about with COVID and the impact on the elderly, we now have euthanasia. One of the best things ever written in this regard is a guy actually called um, Professor Jeremy Pritchard. He's a lecturer here in, at UTAS in criminology. He shows that wherever euthanasia is introduced throughout the world, it leads to a lessening of safety standards and abuse against the elderly in particular and women. Why? Well, to be crass, nothing is cheaper than dead. For rather than the government spending a lot of money prolonging our lives when we need medical treatment, it's easier and cheaper to have doctor-assisted suicide. Oh, you can have a euphemism and call it euthanasia, which comes from the Greek meaning a good death, but it's really just doctor-assisted suicide. Now, I'm sorry to be negative, but you can still hear the world shaking its fists at God and saying, aren't you the Christ? Then come down from the cross and save both yourself and us. The rebellion of the human heart is just as prevalent today as it was back then. But what they don't realise is that there is no salvation until there is an acknowledgement of sin. Until we confess, like the penitent thief on next to Jesus did, that we are receiving what our deeds deserve. The really incredible thing about what the penitent thief says to Jesus is just how simple it is. For all he asks is that Jesus remembers him when he comes into his kingdom. 
It's an implicit acknowledgement that Jesus is the Christ. The reason why Jesus is executed is because he claims to be the king of the Jews. And in a horrifying display of sinful depravity, Herod and the soldiers mock him by dressing him in purple and worshipping him. But we all know that he really is a king. And not just of the Jews, but of the entire world. Such is Jesus' kingly power that he has authority to give a divine pardon to anyone who asks. Even to you and me when we turn to have faith in him. Life after death is real. Life after death is immediate. And finally, life after death is good. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. The paradise that Jesus is talking about here is eternal relationship with God. A sure and certain place in the new heavens and earth. A place where there is no more sickness or suffering or death. One of the most amazing passages in this regard is in Isaiah 65. Please turn with it in your Bibles with me. The description it gives us of the future is so stunning that it's difficult to really put into words. We read in verse 19 of Isaiah 65, I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his years. He who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere youth. He who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. And then later on in verses 24 and 25, we read, Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like an ox. But dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. This description of the new heavens and earth is so glorious that it's difficult to adequately describe. No one's life will ever again be cut short as a result of accident or disease. And there will no longer be any hostility between anything in all of God's creation. The wolf and the lamb, who were once mortal enemies, will both lie down in the field together. The one will no longer attack the other. I'm sure we've all seen Christian people whom we know and love go to be with the Lord. As heartbreaking and as sad as it is, whenever I hear of a follower of Jesus dying, I immediately think of Psalm 116 verse 15. It says, Precious in the sight of the Lord 
is the death of his saints. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Because while we mourn and weep, God calls our brothers and sisters home. For he's ordained all of our days and written them in his book, even before one of them came to be. And so we no longer need to be afraid. For as our good shepherd, he has laid down his life for the sheep. That's the most wonderful thing of all about Jesus. It's that he has secured for us the sure and certain hope of eternal life. Life after death is real. Life after death is immediate. But most of all, life after death is good. And that's what the Lord Jesus Christ offers all of us. That just like the penitent thief on the cross, we can have all of our sins forgiven and be reconciled to God. That's the hope and assurance that we have as Christians. And because of that, we have nothing to fear. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, the true and living God. And we know that but for your grace, we would still love darkness. Lord, you've shone the light on our sin, not to condemn us, but to convict us and to so heal us that we might find forgiveness. Father, we thank you for what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that as we go from here, we might speak of the hope that we have as Christians. That, Lord, we might rest in the hope that we have as Christians. That we might remember your promise always that nothing can separate us from your love. That your love is stronger than death because Jesus himself has died and risen again from the grave. Father, we thank you and we praise you for speaking to us. We thank you and we praise you for loving us and for persevering with us always, even when we go astray. Lord, strengthen us, we pray. Comfort us with your promises. Strengthen us by your spirit. Help us to turn from sin and to walk in your righteous paths. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand and we're going to sing in response to God's word now. A really appropriate song for us to sing. How deep the Father's love for us. Brothers and sisters, let's stand and sing.